Vicki, my wife, and I left this morning about 6.30, and we live in an old two-story house. Vicki's driving. She's out in the truck, starting it up, and I start to get in the truck, and I, oh, I forgot my Bible, so I have to go back inside the house, up the stairs, and grab my Bible, come back all the way down, get in the truck, and just about the time I get settled in, I, oh, I forgot my phone, so back out. This business about getting old is, it's tough. Well, we are delighted to be uh, at Johnson Street this morning, and it's a great, great joy to not only worship with you, but to travel during, travel with you during this, this season of the congregation's life and this time of transition. I uh, picked on Mitch a little bit earlier this morning. Uh, uh, Mitch Freeman called me a couple months ago and shared with me about uh, Tommy King's uh, retirement and the processes and the opportunities and the things that lie to lay ahead and Mitch came up and spent an hour with me in my office and then about three or four weeks ago I came and spent several days with your elders and staff and what a great time of learning about the history and legacy and the possibilities and the things that God is doing here in this church and I look forward to more opportunities to share with your leaders and staff and occasions to be with you on Sundays and uh, I believe that there's great things going on in this church. You've got great staff, great elders, and there's lots of things that have, God has done in the past, and he, there are things that he's got in store for you in the days and months and years ahead, and it's a great joy for me to be a part of that for this season. Well, perhaps you can recall seeing the, the film called The Rookie, came out about 2002, Jim Morris, his story, yes, yes, and I believe, I think he may have played a, a, a little bit of football nearby, real nearby, right? I think we could throw a football to where he played football uh, nearby back uh, about uh, 20 or some odd years ago. That, that story, there's a, there's a place in that film fairly early on where, where he's trying to sort out whether or not he's got it or not, where he goes out of town on a long, on a dark night, and there on the side of the highway is one of those speed limit monitors that check your speed as you're going by, and he, he tosses a few balls there to see if, you know, how fast am I throwing this thing? And uh, unfortunately, the monitor is not working right. You remember that moment? And, and it's, it's just... It's so heartbreaking that uh, it's showing he's only throwing you know, 60 miles an hour or whatever, and instead he's actually throwing 98 or 103 or some other number. Uh, that sense of disappointment that he had in that moment and throughout that movie is the sort of thing that I want to talk about today. It is Easter season, and, uh, and I mean that intentionally. Easter is not a day. It's, it's a season. It's, it's as, as Kevin mentioned earlier, we're in a season of newness. And yet, the reality is we struggle with a sense of disappointment. And I'm not talking about just the kind of disappointment some of you are having right now because Oklahoma lost last night. Or, or, Sarah, uh, or Sarah, you know, Syracuse. Uh, and, I'm talking, and I'm not talking about the kind of disappointment, ladies, when you go to the, the store and they don't have your blouse and your size on the rack. I, I know that that's, that's disappointing at times. What I'm talking about is the kind of disappointment perhaps you recall as a child praying earnestly for something to occur, and it didn't occur. 
And you have to grapple with the reality that God isn't responding the way that he had the last time that you prayed for him. Or maybe you've been on your knees in agony about some situation with your work. Or maybe it's about a relationship that's not well. Or maybe it's about some health issue that you or a close family member is struggling with and you pray for God to act and God does not act in the way that you long for. And you find that bitter sense of, of disappointment that it's just really close to grief. It, it just hangs on you. And, and there's, what do I do with this? And you find yourself in that midst of grief. That kind of disappointment is the kind of disappointment I think that most of us, if you're breathing, are going to have, if you haven't already, in life. And that's why this story from Gospel of John chapter 20, I think, is so important for us in the middle of Easter season. In the midst of all of the joy and the notice of the resurrection, putting that up against that sense of loss, a sense of, of, of disappointment, of grief, of anguish, is why Thomas is so important to us. Now, I think Thomas gets a bad rap most of the time, right? We call him what? Help me out, church. That's right. That's what he's called. Well, I, I'm, I'm here this morning to say I don't think so. Uh, but I know that that's the kind of thing we hear. One noted author, and if I said his name, many of you would know this, this author, writes about uh, about, about Thomas in this way, I just think he's wrong. He says, Thomas was a somewhat negative person. He was a worrywart, a brooder, tending to be anxious and angst-ridden. He was like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. He anticipated the worst all the time. Pessimism rather than doubt seems to be his besetting sin. And I want to say that's a bunch of gobbledygook. I think Thomas is a realist. I think he's just like most of us, that when we find ourselves dealing with something that just keeps disappointing and disappointing us, we back off and say, wait a minute, I'm not, I've touched the stove once, I ain't going to touch it again. Just think about it a little bit. We, we back up a little bit in the Gospel of John and we see the kind of person Thomas is. He's the kind of guy that I like. I like him a lot. Back in chapter 14, Jesus is talking about uh, oh, going to the end of time and he's moving to a place that, we, uh, that he, we've not been. He's going to prepare a place for us. And, and if I go to play a, uh, prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and get you and you know where I'm going. And Thomas is the guy in the crowd who says, wait, 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 Jesus. How do we know the way? Just, just hold on here a second. We, we need a little help with this. Thomas is the guy who speaks up and says, we need some clarity about what you're talking about. And, you know, the interesting thing is that Jesus responds to him. Jesus says, okay, I get it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas is the one who speaks up, who asks the hard questions, the good questions. Or earlier, you back up a little more in the Gospel of John to chapter 11. And there the story about Lazarus. He's dying, and Jesus isn't going to go, and then he is going to go, and back and forth, and the disciples are confused about all of that. That's a story for another time. But what's interesting to me is that when Jesus finally says, we're going to go, are you going with me? 
Thomas looks around at all of the other disciples and says, look, we're going with Jesus. He says, let's also go that we may die with him. Now, here's a guy who's loyal, who's able to look at the reality of going back to Judea and knowing that there's hard stuff waiting there, that it may not go well if we go back, but Jesus is our guy and we're going to go with him no matter what, even if it means the loss of my life. Thomas is the kind of guy I want on my team. I like Thomas. He's just a realist. He's practical. He's the guy who is all in with Jesus. There's no holding him back. He's willing to ask the hard questions. The thing is that Thomas put his whole heart, his whole self in with Jesus, and it just kind of blew up. It blew up. He, Jesus got arrested. He got tried. He got crucified. They buried him in a tomb. Everything that Thomas longed for, hoped for, expected in, had come to a screeching halt. And Thomas said, hey, fool me once, but you're not going to fool me twice. I'm done. And he backs away from all of this. You know, I think the reason why Thomas wasn't in the room with the disciples when Jesus showed up the first time I think there's a good reason for that. I'm speculating. I I have to say that. But I, I think they're all huddled down, fearful, wondering what to do next. I think Thomas had done decided, I'm done, I'm moving on. I think he was working on whatever it was that was coming next in his life. He had sort of said, I've seen that, I've done that, I'm moving on. And that's why he wasn't there on that Easter evening when Jesus showed up first, where everybody else got to see him. And hear him say, peace be with you, and receive the Holy Spirit, and all of that other. Oh, I like Thomas a lot. I think he speaks deeply to where many, many of us live. We've given ourselves over to a job wholeheartedly, only to have that job come to a screeching halt with a boss handing us a pink slip on a Thursday afternoon. We've been in that situation where we've given ourselves to a relationship and then that relationship comes to a screeching halt. We've been in those kinds of places and situations where we think everything is going one way and suddenly it reverses itself and we're caught off guard and we're wondering, God, where are you in all of this? That's why this story is so important for us during Easter season, because it identifies with the reality of our ordinary human experience, the experience of disappointment. And what are we going to do with it? Well, on this second appearance of Jesus, Thomas is there. He hasn't given up on coming to church on Sunday. He's there. He's with the rest of them there. And here comes this remarkable moment. Jesus appears, and he says, peace be with you. And in that moment, hardly before, you know, Jesus does the little thing with with Thomas, right? Okay, Thomas, stick your finger in my hands, put your hand in my side. He says all of that, but, you know, the, the Bible is unclear here. I don't think Thomas did that. Now, I know there are a lot of those nice, old master's paintings of Thomas sticking his hand in the side of Jesus. And I like them. I mean, they're kind of neat to look at and reflect on. But just taking this text on its face, I don't think Thomas does this. I think Thomas, when he hears 
the words of Jesus, peace be with you, and sees the presence of Jesus in that gathered community of people, that was all it took for Thomas. My Lord and my God. This hallmark confession that is the the blaze of glory for the whole Gospel of John. It's been building up for that very moment. My Lord and my God. Thomas understands and he believes. And now what he believes is important for us to get a hold of. Because it'll help us if we get this. Because what Thomas believes in is not this. It's not that Jesus died on a cross and was buried in a tomb and then a dead man came back to life, sort of like some sort of second-rate zombie movie, walking around kind of a half-dead, undead kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about with the resurrection. The resurrection is not resuscitation. It's not bringing merely a dead man back to life. No, the resurrection is Jesus coming out of the grave to never, ever die again. A new creation has been made. A new thing that's happened that, will, that, that unearths and undoes everything else that we can imagine. That's why Easter is so significant. It is the first mark of God's remaking everything. It is the notion that you and I, too, can experience and will experience this newness of life that will never, ever see death. It is a reordering of everything that Thomas recognizes. And in that reordering of the newness of the Easter moment, it was a reminder to Thomas that all of the disappointments that he had experienced thus far are now being seen in a different kind of lens. My Lord and my God, God is at present among us. The Emmanuel is here. That's what Thomas encounters on this remarkable moment in that upper room. It's why we come to church on Sunday mornings, actually, to be reminded with bread and wine that, that the death, burial, and resurrection is real, that a new thing has begun that we encounter. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have disappointments any more than it means for Thomas. Thomas is going to have stuff that happens in his life that will disappoint him. But he now understands all of the experience of his life as he carries out the gospel to various places. Tradition says all the way to India. He carries all of that on with the reality that that something new is at work, that something new is afoot in the world, and that newness is bound up in the resurrection story. It changes his world. It alters his life. And we're here this morning in this assembly to remind ourselves of that newness, that no matter what our disappointments may be, that God is at work doing a new thing and that we are able to participate in it if we'll only embrace this extravagant act of grace, of goodness that comes to us in the newness of God's work. Maybe you've seen the, uh, maybe you've been to the Broadway musical Les Miserables, or maybe seen the movie, which is not nearly as good as the musical theater version of it. In fact, just skip that. Go see it in New York City sometime, or Dallas, or maybe it comes to San Angelo. I don't know. It hasn't made it to Abilene yet. Well, actually, it did. It did make it to Abilene. Yeah, it did. 
It's a great story. It comes out of a novel written by Victor Hugo in a French writer, middle of the 1800s. Uh, the story about this man, Jean Valjean, who steals a loaf of bread to feed his hungry family and ends up 20 years in prison. And it hardens him. He becomes a brute. It's all about survival. Me first. I've got to grab what you can grab. He finally gets out of prison. Within a day or so, he's at the, uh, a bishop's house and is invited to dinner, a wonderful act of grace. But all Jean Valjean can see in that act of grace is the silverware on the table. The silver silverware on the table. Not the stuff you and I use, but the good stuff, right? And, and in the night... Jean Valjean sees an opportunity to grab for himself, to take care of the disappointments in his life by, uh, by obtaining, by grasping and grabbing. And he does, and he leaves in the middle of the night with all of the bishop's silverware, but by midday he's back at the bishop's house under arrest by policemen who found him. With the bishop's silver, he knows it's all over, and yet the bishop does something remarkable in that moment. As the bishop sees Jean Valjean, he says, Oh, Jean, you left so quickly. You forgot to take. And he reaches and grabs on the fireplace mantel the two silver, sti- silver candlesticks sitting there and says, You forgot these candlesticks. They're worth 200 francs apiece. Here you go. The policemen don't believe it. They shouldn't believe it. And really. But they finally believe it. They leave and there is this tender moment when the bishop says to Jean Valjean, in the name of God, I reclaim you from evil. You have a new beginning. In this act of grace, God is claiming you. And it changes his life. It reorients everything in his life. And even though the story unfolds, there's plenty of disappointment for Jean Valjean to encounter. He does so fundamentally a changed person because of that gracious Easter-like act that occurs for him. Church, that is what God has done for us, and we celebrate it every Sunday. And I'm inviting you, like Jean Valjean, to embrace that act, to embrace the possibility of the newness that comes to us. I know that there are times when it doesn't feel that way, And in those times, may I offer to you a bit of advice that came to me some years ago from one of my mentors, a man by the name of Fred Craddock, a noted preacher uh, who I got to know in his later years. He died just a year ago in his late 80s. When he would talk to preachers, Fred did, he taught preachers and ministers in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, And long after retirement, he would say these things. He says, every preacher and every minister, every preacher, every minister, and every Christian will have times in their life when faith seems to falter, when your faith fails, when disappointment gets a hold of you. He says, that's okay. That's okay. He said, in those times, simply allow yourself to rest in the faith of the church. You may not be able to believe, but there are brothers and sisters who do believe. You may not be able to believe, but Christian people have been believing for 2,000 years. In those times when your own faith is weak, rest in the arms and the convictions of the church. That's why we gather together every week. So I invite you, even if you're feeling a bit weary and disappointment has got a hold of you, to allow yourself 
to embrace the faith or let the faith of the church embrace you in that season until you again can capture the heart and the hope of the Easter story and be reminded that God is working things out to his good all along and in fact invites us to participate with God with him in the work that he is doing in the world that's why we hear those words in this story when you remember Jesus says peace be with you and then he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit and then he says as the father sent me so I help me out church so I he commissions us Sometimes even, you know, think about this with Thomas. Even in his disappointments, Thomas was charged to carry on. He was given the commission to act, to carry on. And so are we. So are we. Because of the work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this calling, this commissioning that comes to us to live out the faith of the gospel to carry the message of the good news, even in those times of difficulty and heartache. There is a story that comes out of 1 Kings chapter 19 that speaks about that. You remember the story of old Elijah who whipped it up on those prophets of Baal? 450 of them took them out. It was a bloody story if you want to go back and read it. 1 Kings 19, you can do that this afternoon. It was a heroic moment, a big-time success for the old prophet. But then he hears that Jezebel wants wants his neck, and he runs from one mountain up in the north, Mount Carmel, all the way down through the south to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai. We're not really sure where, but we think it's the holy mountain. And there he whines to God, There's no one left but me. I'm disappointed. God listens to him. And he listens to him again. And he passes by. There's this mysterious story where Elijah is able to see something of the majesty of God. Elijah whines again. And God just says, okay, that's enough. Now, get back to being a prophet. And sends him out to go do his work. Church, we are recipients of the word of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. We have disappointments that we have to endure and we have to work through, but we do so with the vision and the lens that Thomas received of the newness of the Easter message. May I challenge you to be among the people who hear the words of Jesus, peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit, and to respond in faithfulness and in hope trusting in the work of God to work out his purposes among us and in your life. If we can help you in that journey, we invite you as we stand and sing this song to make your way to the front. Let's stand and sing. saint let every nation shout of your fame jesus is coming soon like a bride waiting for her groom will 
so 